Fireworks coming in eight days. We're back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. Dane Brugler from The Athletic. We're going to throw that one in there right before Twitter questions on today's pod. Dane is outstanding. I love his temperament, honestly. I feel like in a chaotic (laughs) nature that comes with covering the draft, I just think Dane is really even keel and just does great work. And so uh, looking forward to you guys hearing that. Um, And today will be our annual positional mock draft. So nine picks, is that right, Eddie? Three in round five, two in round seven, none in round six. Got adds up to nine. Uh, That's what the Colts have heading into next week. So we'll do this strictly based off needs, kind of throwing a caveat there right out of the gate. Um, And before we get to the positional mock draft, I do want to go over a couple of takeaways that I had from earlier today. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, April 19th, from being at the Colts facility. But before we get to all of that... Eddie Garrison, good Wednesday afternoon to you. Good Wednesday afternoon to you as well. Reds lose 8-0. Oh my gosh, man. So is this now five straight games that the differential's been seven or more? Uh, Let me look. That's a good... I think is approaching MLB history. Oh, goodness. Now, they have won, to be fair, a couple of those games... Uh, but they have not played close baseball games here as of late. No, we got positional pitcher again on the mound today. I couldn't believe the Hunter Green stat in signing his extension yesterday that he is the first red player that is now under contract through 2024. Mm-hmm. Like, but, imagine saying that about an NFL team. And, know, and I get, obviously, contracts are different. Yeah. Roster construction is different. But to think that they don't have a single player signed beyond this season until Hunter Green. Mm-hmm. And there's team options. and there Arbitrations, options. yeah. Yeah, the MLB is weird, but when I saw that, I was like, holy shnikes. Yes, six. Six straight now? One, two, three, four, five, six, yeah. Blowout after blowout after blowout. They have won a couple, but um, still, yep. not a lot of late-inning drama. All right, all right that's enough baseball talk, yeah. Uh, lately, yeah, that is enough baseball talk. Um, all right, let's go up to the Colts complex from earlier today. Coordinators and Shaquille Leonard, Jonathan Taylor, and Ryan Kelly. Um, my biggest takeaway from Shaq, and I don't know if I'm honestly that surprised by this, Eddie, but I think you're just always curious, okay, where is he at rehab-wise? I I think we're going to monitor this right up until the first day of training camp and potentially into training camp. Like, I, I don't think this is a... Slam dunk Shaquille Leonard is 110% for day one. At least we can't say that in mid-April. And again, I don't know if that is like breaking news, but that's just the vibe that I get in listening to Leonard. He certainly feels better. Um, he was, you know, very candid about the mental struggles of last season and you know, will I ever get back to five three and will I ever be back to the maniac? You know, when I heard those questions, I did ask him, you know, does retirement ever creep into your mind or did it? And he was very emphatic. No, he referenced, you know, back, I guess, in his third season, he had a concussion. And somebody asked him about retirement, and he felt like it got blown out of proportion. I, I vaguely remember that. I don't really remember it, to be totally honest with you. But right now, he's not doing too much running. Um, you know, first day of OTAs last year is where he felt that issue. We're about a month away from OTAs. So, again, my question is, day one of camp, will he be cleared to go? Um, there is a player on defense to watch for that I was a big fan of the Colts re-signing him that we'll get to in a few minutes that I think kind of plays off of the Leonard situation. Um, on the Ryan Kelly front, you know, it's crazy, Eddie, to think he's the longest-tenured Colt. 
He'll be 30 at the end of next month. He's got two years left on his contract. He said he heard the trade rumors, didn't necessarily hear them from people that matter, a.k.a. the higher-ups within the Colts building or his agent. So he never got too, too worried about that. Correct me if I'm wrong, Eddie, but if and when the Colts draft a young quarterback and if and when that QB gets into games and potentially starts from day one, that'll be the youngest QB Kelly has ever been with by far. Like, oh, certainly. I mean, when you think about his career, you know, luck early on. Um, Bursette, I guess, and him are probably similar in age. I would suppose you can throw in Ellinger. Yeah, I, I guess I mean like full-time starter yeah. from, from week one. Obviously, Philip Rivers, Wentz, and him are similar in age. Matt Ryan. This will easily be the youngest gap, or or, or the biggest gap, I should say, um, if and when that happens. Yeah, I thought Kelly, in typical Kelly fashion, you know, with the chaos from last year, he said I, he wanted to distance himself as much as possible from football, and I think that's a vibe you get from a lot of these guys, and that's how January and February were spent, maybe even a bit of March. I do think, naturally, you just have a refreshed mindset now and a clean slate for the offensive guys, especially, coming back into the building. Eddie, I look at Ryan Kelly, and I think he falls into the Chris Ballard phrase at the end of the year. Um, And again, this does not mean that Ballard's slate is clean either. He's at fault as well. But I thought, at the same time, Ballard accurately stated, our best guys need to play like they are our best guys. Mm -hmm. And I would put Kelly into the camp of a guy that did not play at that level. He chalks it a little bit up more to miscommunication across the unit. I I guess when you're the center, I think that's a big responsibility that you have and you know, it, just the continuity with Braden Smith and and Nelson, it's not like they had gobs and gobs of injuries early in the season. Um we'll see if Tony Sprano Jr. can provide a bit of a spark there. We'll see about zone blocking, you know, that that's been the primary scheme they've used in years past. Jim Bob Cooter said today that'll be kind of dependent on the personnel. And again, as of April 19th, the personnel is the exact same on that O-line. Jonathan Taylor, typical Taylor fashion, you know, a bit awkward when talking about injuries and contract. Um, Called the surgery a perfect success. He's not doing everything right now, so not doing his normal spring stuff, coming back from that ankle injury. You know, late summer for that extension, how it looks, the years, the guarantees. Anytime it's a running back, I think you're – very much in tune with that or curious what that all will look like. And then lastly, I thought Gus Bradley had a couple interesting points. First off, Gus really likes the cornerback class. I don't think that's shocking to hear. You know, this cornerback group sounds to be pretty good this season. We'll get more into that in the positional mock draft. Eddie, the sleeper, and you know, to be totally fair, I don't think I would have labeled him as a sleeper before listening to Gus Bradley today. I've always been a fan of his. I've always really liked his career arc. Um, I think it's a great story. But I just feel like he has played a position that the Colts are typically good and deep at, and you just don't necessarily need him or necessarily have a clear path for him on the field. EJ Speed is someone Gus Bradley really, really likes. And he mentioned today that he's just got traits that they want to have on the field. And I think when you... You know, look at speed. Obviously, Leonard impact is going to be huge there and how he fits or exactly what is maybe needed out of him. But it just seems like the Colts want to play him 
It mm-hmm. felt like they should have played him more last season. Again, I don't know exactly how that looks. Does that mean more base defense? Do you take Zaire Franklin off the field a little bit more? Obviously, Leonard Health will be a huge factor in this. And again, we'll get into linebacker in the positional mock draft. But I would label EJ Speed as a guy that the Colts want to see more from. And I'm not saying they they want like him to develop more, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like that, that sounds like a knock on EJ Speed. I just think... Bradley is curious about what he could do with some more snaps. So again, how that looks remains to be seen, but I'm going to be watching EJ Speed this season. Lastly, Nick Cross, Eddie. Every time I hear Nick Cross's name, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, he is on the team. I just feel like he's kind of like a forgotten guy um, at times. Um, The big thing for him was they felt like he was thinking too much, and that impacted him playing to the rare athletic traits that he has. Remember, he started last season. He started Week 2. He got benched about halfway through that Week 2. What was Week 2? Was that Jacksonville? Yeah, Yeah. Jacksonville. He got benched about halfway through, and after that, man, he played six snaps the rest of the season. I think he was a healthy scratch for a game late in the year. If I'm not I think mistaken. so, too. I think it was the so, second-to-last game. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds about right. Um, and again, they knew he that they would have to be patient with him. If I'm not mistaken, he was one of, if not the youngest guy in the draft last year. So you knew you are going to have to be patient. But with Rodney McLeod now gone, and Gus did say that they felt like Cross kind of made some progress and feeling a little bit more comfortable not thinking as much as the season moved along. That still didn't mean that he played any but you know how they divvy up the safety snaps between cross rodney thomas and julian blackman in a contract year will be something to keep an eye on and uh, rodney mcleod as of now is a free agent here as we are a month into the offseason so i think that covers everything on my end eddie from up there anything of note i know you might have been monitoring a little bit on twitter or should we get into the positional mock? I think we should get into the positional mock. I think you hit on pretty much everything. I was going to say with EJ Speed, though, it feels like anytime he's been given the opportunity yes. to be a linebacker on like a full-time reps, he has stepped in and played really well. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, the Arizona Christmas game mm-hmm. uh, with everybody and their mother having COVID, that probably stands out the most. Um, I'll also say this, Eddie. You know, he played the most special team snaps of anybody on the team last year. And they've had a lot of turnover within that unit. Obviously, Bubba Ventrone is gone. So, um, Speed is a um, he's a unique guy. I mean, he think about that play he made against Davis Mills in week one. If he doesn't have that strip sack, the Colts probably lose that game in Houston. I mean, the tie itself was bad enough, but that was a bit, that was a Leonard type play from Speed. And he has those athletic traits. You just want to see. A little bit more out of them. Um, so before we get to Dane Brugler, let's do the positional mock. And just a reminder for everybody out there, it's an annual thing that we do, and this is making the draft strictly off of depth chart needs. So what are the biggest needs? And obviously you assign value based off where the draft pick falls for the Colts. Um, I think that is pretty much all the explanation that is needed. With that, Eddie, let's, uh, let's get it started. Round one. Pick four. Pretty obvious to me. It is quarterback. I thought you were going to say kicker. <laughs> Competition for Matt Gay. Um, no, I, I again, you guys have heard me say it year in and year, or year in and year out here as of late, but especially this season, short term, long term. You need it. Um, you need to build with that rookie contract for all those reasons. You know, I think it's worth mentioning, Eddie. 
in all likelihood, obviously the Colts are going to draft a quarterback here very early, probably in round one. If I'm not mistaken, they're the last team in the AFC to have drafted a quarterback in one of the first three rounds. If you look on past drafts, you got to go back to the luck draft for taking a guy in the first mm-hmm. three rounds. I think every AFC team has taken one in the first three rounds since then, and it's close to every NFL team. I'll need to double-check that. Um, but it's been a while. There's a little bit of understanding from 2013, 14, 15, 16 why you didn't. it. Um, again, I could make the argument that, you know, n- not to get off on a tangent, but like the Jalen Hurts thing, well... I'm going to hold off on the Jalen Hurts thing until we, <laughs> we, we get to Twitter questions. <laughs> Smart idea on your end. Round two, pick 35. And let me preface here, Eddie, by saying this. I think you can have two philosophies with this thought process and or draft. I think one thought process is you need to do everything possible to support the young quarterback. And I am probably of that thinking. For this exercise, we are still doing depth chart. But I think having the mindset that Bill Poling had in 98 or Ryan Grixon had in 2012 is something that should be explored heavily. I'm not saying Chris Boward will necessarily do that, but I do think that makes a lot of sense. And I guess for those kind of just, I don't know, unfamiliar with you know how things developed for the Colts in 98... They followed up a generational quarterback in Peyton Manning with Jerome Payton, a wideout, E.G. Green, a wideout in the third round, and then Steve McKinney on the O-line in the fourth round. So they drafted generational QB, and then they went pass catcher, pass catcher, O-line. Andrew Luck in 2012, I think we all remember how that unfolded. Mm-hmm. Kobe Fleener, Dwayne Allen, you trade back in around three for T.Y. Hilton. And then don't forget what you did in the final day. Vic Ballard at running back, LeVon Brazil at receiver as well. So Gosh, went those names. Five skill guys. That's a lot for one draft. And then... Um, nice recall by you. Yeah, and you know what? I I like Brazil, and I know one of the big plays he had. He had some off-the-field stuff. Have you ever like, been? Oh, sorry, you're talking about him. <laughs> no, I've, I, I've not been. Um, but that Detroit comeback game, the iconic luck running it in at the buzzer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was Brazil kind of spearheading that with a huge touchdown to get things started. Donnie Avery. You know, Donnie Avery was open on that play, on that on that crosser. But, you know, when you think back, Eddie, I bring that up to say, I mean, those are two, again, generational quarterback talents. And the GMs in both of those settings acted like they just drafted you or me at quarterback and mm-hmm. they needed to give them all the help in the world. Oh, yeah. So that's why I think you walk into this draft and that's a philosophy that I think you should have. And, you know, I feel like the Colts have lacked support for their quarterback here in recent years. That matters even more when you've got a fragile mind in a rookie QB. Those first years, it can get fragile real quick. Mm -hmm. And adversity can hit them real quick. So I want to support them as best as possible. Having said all of that, this practice is about the depth chart. And to me, there is nothing that comes close to cornerback when you look at this depth chart right now in terms of need. So I'm going to go corner here, just again, strictly off of the the depth chart. Um, I'll echo what Gus Bradley said a little bit earlier today. He likes the guys from a you know length standpoint, short area quickness standpoint uh, in this draft. I, I think it would be wise to even explore maybe a future nickel for Kenny Moore mm-hmm. in this draft. Next week's pod, we'll get into what my mock draft would look like for the Colts. Um, and I still think corner has to be viewed as a premium position, Eddie. I mean, it can help your pass rush out big time. You know, if you have good corner play, that obviously aids 
what you're doing up front. And look at the wideouts that you played last year. Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, C.D. Lamb, Terry McLaurin. Um, I mean, hell, probably, I mean, I guess throw Devontae Smith into that same group. The wideouts that you're going to play this year from a, you know, or just AFC wideouts. Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill, Jamar Chase, Devontae Adams, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we'll see where Odell Beckham is when he looks like. Yeah, looks like. Jalen Waddell, um, you know, Christian Kirk. Had a really nice season here in the division. So I, I still Mechie. view it. Say it again. John Mechie. Be a hell of a story, certainly. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. But to me, uh, look at what you lost in Gilmore, even what you lost a little bit in Brandon Faison. Um, Dallas Flowers, Isaiah Rogers, Kenny Moore. That would be your three-cornerback grouping if you're going to go play tomorrow. You need to draft a corner, and the good news is there's a lot of it sounds like a lot of good draft depth at that position. Yeah, there is, and there's still some veteran free agent cornerbacks that are yep. available too that they could tap into once the draft is over. Um, kind of hinted at it about what the Colts should do with going quarterback in the first round. You've got them doing it in round number three with the 79th pick that they got from Washington in the trade for Carson, a.k.a. Carl Wentz. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go wide out here. I'm going to go wide out, um, and Eddie, I want to be specific on the skill set. I don't need another power forward in that room. There's nope. enough power forwards in that room. I need a point guard. I need a jittery bug in that room. I need the guy that, you know, when I think of the point guard that I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the guy that comes off the bench that can't shoot it, but he's there to just play defense and hound you because he's he's got great lateral quickness and get up in your face, and he's just kind of that jitterbug full of energy. I think the Colts need that at wideout. And again, I think the good news is when you look at this wideout group, while it might not have a top 10 pick in the group, it seems to have some of the 5'9", five, 5'10", five, shifty sort of dudes. And I know that goes against a lot of what Chris Bauer believes in at wideout, but I think you need a compliment the power forwards with a point guard. Um, so that would be the route that I would go. You guys heard me talk about it last month You know when we uh, talked a little bit more free agency on the pod. Isaiah McKenzie to Paris Campbell is not a one person is out of the building, one person is in the building. That's the depth chart equivalent. McKenzie's gadgety. I need a little bit more of a stabling force in the slot. McKenzie's had inconsistencies. You can't ignore that either. So um, again, there is a lot of these body types, I think, in this draft. So um, I'll go wide out here in round three. Uh, and if you um, buy into the Houston Texans swirls that have come about of them not going quarterback number two, and who knows, maybe Arizona decides to stay um, after all at three and select defensive end or go somewhere else. And you see C.J. Stroud fall to you there at number four, and the Colts like C.J. Stroud, or should say if the Colts like C.J. Stroud, because we don't know if they do or not, then you're going to need somebody to get down the field to support that arm because right now they don't have a player that can just burn the safety to get down the sideline and get a big play. I mean, in a perfect dream world, Eddie, this would be T.Y. Hilton 2.0. Third round. Charlie Jones. <laughs> 2012, maybe not the exact skill set. I, I do like Charlie Jones a lot, but um, the pairing here of you know the young wideout with the young quarterback probably speaks for itself. So, uh, yeah, that's where I'm going, round three. All right, so just to recap, round one, quarterback, round two, cornerback, round three, wide receiver. Now we're on to round four, pick 106. What position do you have the Indianapolis Colts going? Yeah, I'm going to go to the O-line here. I'm going to go to the interior 
specifically to the O-line. Again, as of now, zero additions of note here to the offensive line. Um, you know, Ryan Kelly is going to turn 30 next month. He's got two years left in the deal. I don't think Will Fries should be written in Sharpie at all at guard. You still have Danny Pinter. Um, Pinter has got to be into a contract year, right? He's been in the league for three years. Um, I think he is. So, you know, whether you want to talk about competing for right guard, whether you want to talk about competing for center, um, the future at center, I think interior of your offensive line should be here. And I think this franchise needs to start hitting Eddie on day three interior linemen. I think if you look around the NFL, you will find a lot of those starting types. And I just think how roster construction should be, that's where you need to try and go. So I'll go interior O-line here. All right, the Colts have three picks in the fifth round. One from Dallas, one from Buffalo, and their own. Mm-hmm. We'll start with the Colts' fifth-round pick, because that falls first. That's pick 138. Yeah, obviously Gilmore and um, Hines would be the trades and the other ones. I'm going to stick with the O-line and go out to tackle. Um, let's go there here, Eddie. And it's primarily depth, you know, when you look at where things stand right now. From a Braden Smith standpoint and a Bernard Ryman standpoint, you know, I, I think you are giving Bernard Ryman every chance to start at left tackle. But you know what? Matt Pryor's no longer here. And go ahead and insert the laugh track. Dennis Kelly's no longer here. Like the guys that were your depth pieces at tackle last year aren't here. Mm-hmm. So I think in a perfect, you know, little scenario here, you would draft a Joe Haig. You would draft a Joe Wrights. I know Haig is a little bit more applicable of, of being a draft pick versus rights, uh, but that's what I would be looking for here. I don't think tackle has been drafted enough by the Colts. Um, that's where I'm going here with the first round of five selection. And you said one of the other two fifth round picks they got via trade. This one is from Buffalo in the Naheem Hines trade. Round five, pick 162. Let's double dip. Let's go back to corner. Um, I'm going to go back to corner. You know, to me, Eddie, it's a position that short-term and long-term, you have questions. I think you have pressing questions outside corner and long-term questions at inside corner. Again, mm-hmm. Kenny Moore is going into contract year and is reaching the age of 30. So for those reasons, um, I think that is where you need a double dip at corner. Again, great draft depth as well. Um, you know, Can you have an Isaiah Rogers type of day three sort of find here? I'm going to go corner. And the final fifth-round pick, this is from Dallas via the Stefan Gilmore trade, is number 176. I almost said the position group there for a second. Nothing on Chris Boward's resume has he done better than drafting linebackers. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, it's outstanding what he's done at the linebacker position, whether it's Leonard in round two or Bobby Okereke in three or EJ Speed in five, Zaire Franklin in seven. Um, he's been brilliant when it comes to that position, so tap back into that and draft it here. And you know what? If things don't go great with Leonard, if he has another setback, all of a sudden this pick Eddie might be needed in, mm-hmm. in some capacity early on. So there probably is some people out there that would say, hey, I'd push linebacker higher. I'm going to trust Ballard and you know put Leonard's health to the side because I don't think anybody knows. It's just such a weird situation. I, I don't think you truly know. Um, but I think a day three, round five linebacker, I think you could get some potential early impact from him. So um, I'll round out round five here 
with linebacker before they take round six off. I was going to mention here with the gaps, too, on special teams that are now voided. Mm -hmm. I think that's also a sneaky position to add A, depth like you talked about, and B, get a solid uh, special teamer, whether that's on punt return or or on punt or on kick return. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I would need to double-check, Eddie, but I feel like the Colts are... Outside of EJ Speed, maybe Tony Brown, I don't think they're bringing back really anybody from a major core special team standpoint. From Stewart last year, um, I guess Stewart would be back, wouldn't he? Um, God, I'd be totally off on that now that you now that you say that. Maybe they are bringing back like five of their top six. For some reason, I felt like they were losing people from that. I'll try to look that up. Okay. Uh, but yeah, how many uh, how many we got left? Uh, uno. So here are just want to recap everything so people don't have to go back and listen. Round one, pick four, quarterback. Round two, pick thirty five, corner. Round three, pick seventy nine, wide receiver. Round four, offensive guard or center. Round five, offensive tackle. Round five, cornerback. Round five, linebacker, which leads to. The final pick the Colts have in round number seven it is the 221st player to be selected. And what group do you have him coming from? And they got two, right? In round seven, don't they have the Grant Stewart one? Ah, you're right. I didn't scroll down past the ad there. Yeah, they have one more. So they have two left. Yeah, and now I'm looking at these special team snaps. Yeah, they do bring back a lot. Maybe for some reason I was thinking defense. Uh, don't bring back Ben Banigou. I guess that would be one of your core special teamers that you're not bringing back. Um, okay, the, the first round 7-1. Um, again, I'm going specific skill set here. I'm going for a pass-catching running back. That's where I'm looking. Um, you know, when Naheem Hines was traded, you know, I'll never forget Frank Reich saying, you know, I feel like we got some guys by committee that could fill that role. I, I I respect Frank, but I was kind of like, I'll believe that when I see it. And I felt like I was still kind of believing it or waiting to see it by the end of the year. So uh, I like Zach Moss. I like Jonathan Taylor. But I think you need to help out your rookie quarterback. And by doing that, having a guy that can you know, help you out. I know it's a lot to throw a rookie in there on third down. But that would be an avenue that I would try and look for in round seven. So let's go with pass catching running back here to be your third RB. And then the final... Pick the Colts have is 236, and you have them going back to the well on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, and I think this was the Grant Stewart trade. You gave them your sixth, you got their seventh, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, from last year. You know, I'll go safety here, Eddie. I, I I don't really have like strong conviction for any sort of position, to be totally honest with you. Um, I think when you get to this point of draft, I could be talked into a lot. Again, Roddy McLeod. Uh, as of right now, not here. Julian Blackman entering a contract year. Nick Cross, Rodney Thomas, Blackman. You know, those are three safeties. You could probably get by with with, with that, but I will throw that in here. Um, I will say, Eddie, after doing this exercise, I will never, never be mad with an edge rusher. I didn't put it on here. Mm-hmm. I think they have the numbers. To not be in like a desperate need again, quantity wise, you could argue quality. Um, so, and it does sound like there are some decent edge rushers in this draft. Um, so that would be a position that I would potentially, you know, again, never, never rule rule out. Um, so, yeah, I say safety to close it out. Again, edge rusher I could be talked into pretty much at any point. 
Uh, Eddie, any maybe run, run it down one more time, and then uh, any thoughts you have. All right. Uh, round one, quarterback. Round two, cornerback. Round three, wide receiver. Round four, offensive guard or center. Round five, offensive tackle. Round five from Buffalo, cornerback. Round five from Dallas, linebacker. Round seven, running back. And round seven from Tampa Bay, safety. Um, I like all of this. I think I would have gone about the same. Maybe move wide receiver to round two and corner to round three, depending on who's available for me. I like Marvin Mims out of Oklahoma a good deal. Um, right. If he's there still at the near the top of the second round, I would probably lean that way. But um, after that, it just gets a little hairy with some of the wide receivers because they all have some questions. But uh, I like the cornerback class like you talked about and like Gus Bradley's talked about, very deep. Um, I can't remember who said this. It might have been – I think it was Charles Davis. It was on the Fed Midday Show probably a week or so ago, and he said that the cornerback classes now are going to start to become more deep uh, because of guys that – can't make it as wide receivers in college they decide to go over to play corner and the athleticism now in order to be a wide receiver is higher than it's ever been so you're getting even more athletic corners that play cornerback like wide receivers who have the hands to play corner and also the skill set to go with the length yeah i think it's a great point obviously seven on seven and just how much that continues to grow you need guys on the other side of the ball to to do that um and again, by all accounts, it's a really great cornerback draft class. So to talk more draft and to hear great insight from um, one of the experts and a guy that I absolutely love, let's go to Dane Brugler uh, from The Athletic again. We recorded this with Dane uh, late last week on our morning show, Kevin and Query. And here's Dane Brugler right now. You know my question that I'm going to ask right off the top because I've asked every draft expert this. And I know that it's I, – I realize it's a redundant question, but to me it's one that, that I find fascinating. Dane Brugler joins us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Dane, appreciate your time. I'm going to get to you right now the question that I've asked several people that aren't necessarily the, the draft expert you are, but, but talking about rosters. So I'll ask you this. In your opinion, is this 2023 NFL draft a draft that has four quarterbacks that are up towards the front of it because there are four legitimate franchise quarterbacks or does it have quarterbacks up towards the front of it because strictly there are four franchises up front that all need quarterbacks? Uh, more the latter. Um, you know, this is a – it's a better quarterback group than we saw last year uh, where, you know, we had one quarterback go in the first 73 picks, uh, historically bad quarterback class. And this year is better, there's no question. But, uh, you know, we could see – it's at least feasible. We could see four going to top seven. How many times that has happened in, in history of uh, NFL draft? Never. It not happened once. So, uh, and that, and I think that speaks more towards uh, teams needing a quarterback more so than four quarterbacks truly deserving of of going that high. Uh, to me, Bryce Young is the best quarterback in this class uh, from Alabama. I think he is the number one player in the draft overall. And, you know, he's a complete outlier. Uh, the moment he's drafted, he'll be the smallest player in the NFL uh, at his position. So, you know, it, it's something that is going to take a little bit of faith, but he does the most quarterback things. And then the other three guys, you can pull Coles in all three of them. And, and so it's just beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And so uh, I think all, all four of these guys 
show enough that you can say, okay, these, these guys are future NFL starters. Um, and then it gets into the debate about, okay, if he's an NFL starter, well, then what's the value of that? If I, if I feel like a, a quarterback is going to be good enough in the NFL to start me games and help me win games, is that worth a top 15 pick uh, compared to a, uh, you know, a, a guard or, you know, a defensive tackle or whoever, whatever value another position gives. So uh, it, it's, it's a loaded kind of question because you get into some of these value questions, but no, I, I think it's more of the latter where, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think we have four tr- truly franchise quote unquote franchise uh, type prospects at the position. Dane, in my opinion, so we're going to strict uh, say strictly, let's just say for the sake of the question here that it comes down to it in the Colts, the two quarterbacks that are there are Richardson and Levis and that they are debating between those two. In your opinion, and see if this makes sense the way I ask this, which is a greater gap? The level of how ready they are to play right now between those two guys, theoretically Levis being more plug-and-play ready than Richardson at this point, or the level of what you see the gap being in terms of ceiling once they are fully embraced and and you know comfortable within the nfl yeah and, and i think it's a good question because that's, that's something that i think some teams are asking themselves that question um and you know with richardson it just he's so he's so unique because we've never really seen a a talent like this you know we've had six four 245 quarterbacks before but none that run a four four three in the 40 yard dash or none that have his type of arm strength. Um, but when you're talking about a player that has fewer than 400 career pass attempts, um, a player that has only 13 career starts, and he's below 500 in, in those uh, 13 career starts, there's just a lot of football he, he, has, he has not yet experienced. And he didn't come from a big-time high school. Okay, so you know there's still a lot of football that he has to learn. But at the same time, Anthony Richardson, the guy you want on the field because the biggest knock on him is just consistency with his accuracy, with his processing, um, just, you know, learning defenses, understanding what defenses are trying to do. It's all about things that you're not necessarily going to get from a playbook. It's just sitting and watching and learning. You want this guy getting reps. So how long before we feel, okay, Anthony Richards is going to get the playbook enough, gonna, we can trust him enough to put him out there, and he can operate some form of the offense, that, that, that question is going to be – the answer to that question is going to be different from team to team based off of how willing they are to adjust the playbook to fit the quarterback, uh, to uh, you know, just all those different things. And so it, it's really a team-by-team team type, of, type of case because you know, these quarterbacks are so different with what they're going to give you. Now, Will Levis, I, I think that he is definitely more pro-ready um, with what he can do from day one. But I, I think there's no question that overall, Richardson, just there, there's more, uh, more home run potential there. More of, okay, if this guy hits, he can really be truly special. And at the end of the day, maybe that's what we should be betting on is the best case of both these guys. And Dane Brigler, the author of The Beast, uh, comes with your subscription to The Athletic. It's a must-have for anybody that wants just an ounce, or many ounces, I should say, information on the NFL draft, over 400 prospects that Dane goes in-depth on. Uh, Bryce Young at one, C.J. Stroud, the fourth overall prospect, will um, 
Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, right back to back, thirteen and fourteen. Um, Dane, you've got Hendon Hooker not in the first round. Um, he's your only quarterback you have with a second or a third round grade. You have him in the second round. Um, is it just so much system related, or is this more age and injury for the question on Hendon Hooker? Well, I think anytime you talk about quarterbacks, you have to talk about timeline, right? You know, we just talked about Richardson and, you know, when is he going to be able to get on the field? And with, with Hooker, it's the same type of deal. You have to talk about timeline, um, you know, coming off that injury. So, okay, he's going to not going to be ready for training camp, not going to be ready for the start of the season, you know, whether that's PUP or, you know, whatever designation that ends up being. Um, okay, so I guess your your best case is pr- hopefully – he's going to be ready to be your backup over the second half of the season. Maybe he's able to get a, a start in maybe late in the year. Um, and then your hope is in year two that he enters the year, um, you know, ready to compete for the starting job. Uh, but again, this is a guy coming from an offense where it's half field reads tied to low. It's, it's a lot of things that, uh, you know, are not really conducive to what a lot of NFL teams do and what they they ask of their quarterbacks. And so I think he's a smart guy. I think that he can, you know, make that transition, but it's not as seamless as I think um, a lot of people believe it might be. So now there's a lot of things to like about Hendon Hooker, but I think when you factor in uh, the injury, I think when you factor in the offense that he's coming from, it would just that would worry me quite a bit drafting a player like that uh, in in the first round. But uh, you know what? I, I think for some teams, you look at Minnesota. Uh, you know, obviously they don't need a quarterback this year. Um, some other teams picking in the uh, you know late one, maybe some in that early two range. Uh, you know, that, I, I think it can make more sense. But for a team that needs a quarterback to come in and make a difference for them in year one. Uh, Hennon Hooker just doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah, Dane Brigler with us from the Athletic NFL Draft Analyst. Dane, we had your colleague Deontay Lee on with us a little bit earlier in the week, and I asked him this. I'll throw it at you. Um, we're way down the road, and the you know Hall of Fame induction class in whatever twenty years is inducting an offensive member from the twenty twenty three draft class and a defensive member from the twenty twenty three draft class. Uh, who would be the Hall of Famers on offense out of this class and on defense out of this class if you had to bet on one? Uh, well, I mean, I'll stick to my board, and that's, you know, Bryce Young. And obviously, where these guys end up matters so, so much. Um, you know, that, that's a big piece uh, to, to the equation. But, you know, Bryce Young, I think, even though he is a complete size outlier, he does some special things at the quarterback position that just make you go, okay, I'm, I'm a believer. You know, I, I, I yeah, he's the smallest quarterback that you know we're going to see back there uh, in the modern era, but uh, as long as he stays healthy, um, you know he is his instincts, um, his ability to feel everything around him, the vision to understand what the defense is doing, but also where uh, these windows are coming open, um, his accuracy, the, the processing, it's all it's all special. And I, and I don't say that you know lightly. Um, I, I think that he absolutely um, has a chance to be that type of quarterback where we're, we're talking about him in that light. Um, you know, it, I think it, when it's all said and done, he's going to go to Carolina, which you know I think they have uh, a decent offensive line, decent um, you know, offensive coaching staff around him. Not many weapons, you know. So we'll, we'll see how they build up around him um, if that comes to fruition. But Bryce Young has that type of ability um, on defense. 
you, you know, I Jalen Carter is the best defensive just talent in this draft, and if he's able to stay, uh, you know, keep things on the straight and narrow, and you know, maturity is something that is never guaranteed, but it's something that over the years, you know, he, he's able to you know really come into his own. Um, I, Jalen Carter has the talent to to be the best defensive player from this draft. There, there's no question. Uh, I mean, he is. His block destruction is awesome. Uh, it's power. It's agility. Um, it, it's the ability. And it's not just physical traits. It, it's, it's skill. He has a very keen understanding of how to use his hands, his body control. So, um, I mean, those two guys have the most talent from this class. Now, if, hopefully they go to a situation where they're able to realize that and achieve it. Um, you know, so I, I think I would bet on those two guys just because, again, they're the most talented. But at the same time, I also think, you know, you have to mention guys like Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern because he is, I, you know exactly what you're getting. I mean, he comes to you wrapped in clear wrapping paper. Uh, you, you know exactly what he is from day one, plug and play. He could be on that Zach Martin type of trajectory where uh, plug him in at guard and he's going to make a lot of Pro Bowls. And, you know, maybe we are talking about a, a Hall of Fame career down the road. Dane Burgler is our guest. The Athletic is where you can read his work. The Payless Liquors Hotline is where you are hearing him currently. Dane, I'm going to take quarterback out of the equation because that's probably the obvious answer here. So outside of quarterback, in your time doing this and analyzing the draft, give me the position that is often the most unpredictable to determine translation from college game to pro. Probably safety. Um, you know, safeties, they're just asked to do so many different things in college. Uh, and, and, you know, so you watch a guy on tape and, you know, you, you, you decipher, okay, they're in this, this type of shell, they're, they're this coverage, and, okay, okay this is, his responsibility is ABC. Um, and you just have to understand what they're being asked to do. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times safeties, are, they play very conservative um, in, in college uh, defenses. And then you try to translate that, okay, can he, can he play man? Can he drop it in nickel? Can he do these things? You, a lot of it's projection uh, towards the NFL. But, and so I think safety can be a little bit difficult at times to uh, just fully understand what, what a safety is capable of because you have to have equal parts toughness, um, football IQ, athleticism. You want to be able to put guy to have range, play both sidelines. Um, but, you know, you have to be a little bit of all of that. Uh, you, have, you need the ball skills. So I, I think a lot of times, you know, safeties don't get a chance to prove themselves that they have all of those things. And, and honestly, it's just it's hard to find really good safeties. Uh, you know, there's a reason we don't see many safeties drafted in the first round this year, you know, I, I think Brian Branch from Alabama, who's really more of a true nickel, but I, I think he uh, deserves to go in the first round. He has first round talent, but uh, after that, when's the next time we see a safety drafted? It might not be in, in the next 75 picks. So um, I think safeties are you know really good safeties are hard to find in the draft. Um, you know that, that 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 comes true every year, especially this year. Dane, obviously Purdue had a pretty nice season. Aiden O'Connell, Payne Durham, you know, Charlie Jones, Corey Trice. I think all those guys will hear their name called. Uh, of those four, would it be Corey Trice that hears his name called first? Good chance, yeah. I, I think you know the big question with uh, him just was the injury. And you know he started off a little bit slow this year. Uh, and then gradually got better and better. And, uh, you know, he, the way he worked out, uh, and this is a guy that uh, for six, three and a half, 206 pounds, 
um, to go out and run like he did. He's in the four fours. Um, but not that, not just that, but the short area agility stuff, the three cone, six, seven, oh, it's an unbelievable time for a guy that size. Four oh six in a short shuttle, awesome time. The jumps were amazing, eleven foot in the broad. So the, he has the the special athleticism that you really like. And for a guy that size, who's that long, that type of wingspan, um, I mean, you're, you're gonna bet on on those types of traits. Uh, it, it's a stopwatch position. It, it, it's a tape measure uh, position. And so I, I do think that Trice has a good chance to be uh, the first Purdue player drafted. Uh, but there's a lot of love for O'Connell as well. I mean, teams are always looking for, even if you think Aiden O'Connell is a backup and nothing more, uh, if you're going to list the most important positions on an NFL roster, QB2 will come before uh, a strong safety for most teams. You know, it'll, it'll come before, um, it, you know, your, your, your right guard. Uh, so a lot of teams are looking for a competent backup that's going to bring value to your quarterback room and just overall trust with that player. So if your starter goes down, you feel, okay, we can still, we're still in this because we, you know, our backup, we feel good about our backup coming in. So uh, O'Connell has some value. And so third round, fourth round, I, I think there's a lot of teams with their eyes on Aiden O'Connell as, as a possibility. 30 seconds left, Dane. So one word answer here for you. The Colts stay at four, hypothetically, between Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, the quarterback that is most likely to have his name still available when the Colts are on the clock. I, I think it's Richardson. I, I do. I think, and, and I think that it's the Colts. Uh, I think right now, if I had a guess, that's who the Colts would take. You know, knowing you know Chris and what you know what he likes at the position. Um, you know, what, what fits that offense. I, I think Richardson. Makes a lot of sense uh, in some ways and not, not some in others, but I, I think that maybe that, that could be the marriage that ends up uh, happening at four. The most obscure college in the Beast was which college? Uh, what, New Mexico Highlands, maybe. Um, <laughs> it, 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 there, there's a, quite a few where I was like, huh, I wonder what their mascot is. You know, I just try to, a few that I've never heard of, but, uh, you know, it, it, that, that's the fun of it every year is discovering some of these uh, lower level D3, because I'm a D3 guy, so figuring out some of these D3 schools, D2 schools is fun. The man ranked the top 10 long snappers here in the 2023 draft. He's the one and only Dane Brugler from The Athletic. Dane, great work, man, and as always, thank you. No, thank you. Take care, guys. All right, that was Dane Brugler from The Athletic. I hope you guys have enjoyed us kind of throwing in the random draft segments that we've done on our morning show. And I know not everybody can listen to that on a live or even a podcast base, so... Side and toss those in there. The beast. The beast for Dane. Yes. Do you have a copy yet? Uh, I do. I do. I do have a copy. Uh, quite the. I mean, just. I'm in awe, honestly, <laughs> scrolling through it. Wait, were you being like legit there at the end where you talked about how he ranked the top 10 long snappers? He has the top 10 long snappers. No way. 1,000%. Oh, yeah. I saw it. Every time I open up the beast, I think my computer's going to blow up. <laughs> how big is it? Uh, Four oh eight, I want to say. Insert pun or joke, whatever. Yeah, boy, jeez, yeah, I'm getting too old for that. Um, so I yeah, uh, thank you to Dan Brugler for that. I think we're gonna do mon- before you get to Twitter questions. I think let's do a Monday morning pod next week, Eddie, uh, and then we'll see how round one goes. The media availability for the number one overall, or not the number one overall pick, but the number one pick, the round one guy. What time that will be on Friday? 
Um, My toes are tapping right now, KB. As, as the pod listeners know and you know, I'm an active better. Yeah. Last week, I put five bucks down on CJ Stroud to go to the Colts at number four. Uh huh. It was plus 2,200. Oh, man. I don't think you can find those odds anywhere now. Yeah, you, you could not. The Vegas odds on these picks, which I think a few of our Twitter questions allude to them, um, pretty wild to see how they've shifted. Plus, and, na- plus 250 now. Yeah. It, it, it almost seems like, what, there's probably three or four guys that are like plus 400 or less? At four? Yeah. It seems pretty like coin there's, tossing. There's four. Yeah. There's four guys at plus 400 or less. You typically do not see that uh okay with that eddie uh we know where your allegiance lies now uh if you didn't know if you did before then now you certainly do uh let's get into twitter questions all right uh love twitter question time twitter question number one z palm hey fellas do you guys feel like jim ursay or chris ballard might have some scar tissue with will levis because his play style is so similar to carson wentz play anthony richardson would give them a flavor at quarterback they've never had thank you yeah, I think it's a good point. Um, I think it's fair to to, to bring up, um, you know, again, how much say does Ursay have? Has he let Chris Bowden and Shane Steichen handle this? I do think something to note just kind of right out of the gate on the Levis-Richardson front, Eddie. You know, I have w- – when I have heard the Levis chatter, it was pre-Shane Steichen arrival. And I think it's really important to say out loud, like – Maybe this is me wishful thinking, but again, I think Shane Steichen should have a ton of input into this pick. A ton. I, I would argue he should have more input than Chris Ballard. I'm not saying that's how it's going to happen, but that's how it should happen, mm-hmm. if I'm being totally honest with you. So, um, I think that me speaking from myself, when I have heard the Levis interest, again, this was pre steichen I could see reasons why Steichen, a guy that thinks you can develop a little bit more of accuracy, um, a guy that obviously came from a, a running quarterback last year, I could see why Anthony Richardson could be super intriguing to him. So, I, again, I don't know if I'm ready to say, like, I think Richardson is the favorite, but I I feel less confident about Levis just because that shatter was so early. And I could see why Richardson would be intriguing to, to the Colts. I do think, which kind of counters what I just said, I thought Zach Kiefer did a really nice job this week on The Athletic and looking back on you know, all of the past comments that Chris Ballard has made mm-hmm. regarding quarterback, because I don't believe anything he says in the year 2023. I mean, that's just... You shouldn't. You know, I think I, you say that for any GM that has a position that the Colts have. And the quote was from 2020 about accuracy around the combine and saying like, Ballard doesn't think you can get dramatically better, drastically better. I forget the exact word when it comes to accuracy. You can get incrementally better, but not dramatically better. Um, And he has always said this phrase of like, at some point, you've got to throw from the pocket. You know, I I remember him saying that this year. Like, at some point, you do have to deliver from the pocket. And that kind of, you know, maybe poo poos a little bit of the running quarterback. And I guess while I'm on this kind of train of thought, I've never been a like get me a running back, uh, get me a running back a quarterback. Certainly not that. I've never said like you need Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick at QB. Mm-hmm. I just think you need a guy that can improvise a bit with his legs, a bit, keep a play alive. Justin Herbert, exactly. Get out of the pocket a little bit. Um, just kind of subtle movements 
Don't need to be an outright scrambler or some dual threat RPO god out there. But on third and seven, if the field opens up and you need to beat a linebacker and have an angle, can you do it? And, Joe Burrow like, and, yeah. is a perfect example of that. And again, I think all these quarterbacks in this draft have that. Some of them, in Richardson's case, obviously have it to a bigger degree. But um, yeah, I hope that answers it to are, Z Palm. Are you a fan of any of the quarterbacks that are in that second tier that are like yeah, outside the, of the top five? I love the Fresno kid. Uh, Hainer, uh, yes, love him, but again, to the point where I would you know draft them though. But uh, Clayton Tune, I, I I enjoyed watching him when I did. I don't know if the BYU kid Hall that I'm just like he played bad against Notre Dame, so I write him <laughs> off. But, uh, not that, and I think Aiden O'Connell will have a nice a nice presence in the NFL. I like that too. Uh, Alex says, "Good morning, loving the off season pods. I am all for this new Colts mentality on a scale of one to ten. How much of a rebuild are the Colts in? 10 being tank for number one overall. Why haven't we traded players such as DeForest Buckner and other players that aren't a part of the long-term vision to stash draft picks? If it were me, I would stay out for it regardless. Take Anthony Richardson if available, and if not, get Will Anderson and then use draft capital to go all in on the 2024 draft. Eddie, how mad do you think Colts fans would be if they traded back from four? I think um, there would be picket signs and rioting outside of West 56th Street. Would that be a tad calmer if the trade back included a 2024 first round pick in return? I would say it would calm it just a little. You're not on hot. Maybe you're warm. Okay. All right. But I think that cranks back up to full on like flame throwing <laughs> if they don't go out and try to lose. Well, yeah. And if they go out and try to win, because then you're going to have to give up more than two first-round picks right. if you want Caleb Williams or Drake May. You know, to Alex's question, I, I, I get where he's coming from. I, I think DeForest Buckner can be effective for three or four more years. And you would like to hope that the rebuild would reach something of promising note in three to four years, mm-hmm. or else you have hit another roadblock. So um, I, I'm fine with, with keeping Buckner. Um I just think Gardner Minshew is too competent. The Colts have too many solid to above average football players to really go two and fifteen or one and sixteen, like whatever it's you know actually going to look like. Uh, on this front, Eddie, I think it's worth mentioning right now. You know some of the rumors that we are hearing, and that would be you know you guys had on uh, Aaron Wilson right today on the on the midday show, and he yep. was pretty adamant Houston is not going to take a quarterback. Oh yeah, until. he was like, and he made it a point. He was like. He goes, I just don't see them doing it. They love Bryce Young, and they don't feel like they have they they have the cliche of Ballard. He says, you don't just take a quarterback to take one. Mm-hmm. And they want one that fits their system, and according to him, the only one that fit the system that they want to run was Bryce Young. Okay, a couple things on that. First, if I'm Houston, don't you look into Trey Lance? Maybe their offensive staff coming from San Francisco – aren't Trey Lance fans. I Maybe they saw him work for two years and they just said, all right, we're good. Um, and San Francisco, if Brock Purdy's coming off Tommy John, I don't think I'd be just wanting to give up on Trey Lance just yet either. Like, I don't think Purdy is some slam dunk, especially with Garoppolo no longer there. I guess they do have Darnold, but yeah. Um, in that system, you can make any quarterback work. Well, that is a good point. If you have Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle, and Christian McCaffrey. So if Houston Trey does not take a quarterback, they take Will Anderson at two, right? Yep. So then at three, what does Arizona do? 
you would think with C.J. Stroud on the board, they would have some trade calls. I think if you're the Colts, what you need to hope for right now is this. The earlier thought process was you were going to have a quarterback go one, you were going to have a quarterback go two, you were going to have a quarterback go three, and Arizona would not want to trade too far down because they'd want to get Will Anderson. Yep. So that was the advantage of the Colts of like, hey, they're only going to want to trade from three to four because they still want to get Anderson, therefore the Colts would be the trade partner they would want, so then the Colts could move up to three and theoretically take their pick of Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. Well, let's throw out that scenario for the time being. Now, if you have Bryce Young one, Will Anderson two, that puts Arizona at three with the three quarterbacks on the board. If Arizona's going to trade back, the question now becomes, how far do they want to move back? Mm -hmm. And do they view Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech as the guy that they really, 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 really want? Or Jalen Carter. Like, you you still have to throw that name out there because... yeah. I mean, most of these defensive tackles that are, you know, at the top of the league now, they come with some baggage. And a lot of it is something like that. It's like, that's just how they come nowadays. Yeah, it, it is a fair point. Um, yeah, it is a fair point. Now, um, how they view the defensive board, I think, would be really interesting. Do they view the trade back and say, we have a new GM, we need to get the greatest package possible? Or do they sit there and say, We have a new head coach. <laughs> well, and a new defensive head coach as well. Um, or do they look at it and say, We just need to move back one or two spots because, to your point, Eddie, they want Jalen Carter or they want Tyree Wilson. That will be interesting. And that, I think, is the best thing for the Colts of like, Yes, the Raiders at seven are enticing. Yes, the Titans at 11 are, are enticing. But I think what you need to hope for right now is that Arizona and or Houston, but now it looks like Arizona, that they have a defensive guy that they really covet. And that they f- might feel like three is too rich, or if they can get you know an additional third rounder or two, they would happily trade back one spot knowing they can still get that guy. So that'll be something, I think, to monitor a week from tomorrow. Mitch's question is up next. Is Chris Ballard the king of the half measure? <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's probably a good way to put it. You know, I, I, I like a lot of Chris Bowden's core beliefs. Um, there's a lot of his thought process I find interesting. Um, I appreciate his explanation around a lot of it as well. Um, I enjoy, I mean, I know a lot of my colleagues are like, oh, you know, n- nothing's going to happen on Friday at that press conference. I mean, you can ask a lot of free agency related questions to him. Like, it's not like you only have to ask draft yeah. related questions to him. We haven't talked to him since Devon Gilmore was traded and Paris Campbell was signed elsewhere. And they have been, I, I would think, a little bit quiet on the free agency front. So you can ask those questions. So, um, But, you know, with, with Ballard, Eddie, I always go back to just that opening press conference and sitting in that Colts pavilion when he said it's not about one guy. It almost seems like he spent seven years trying to prove that. He spent seven years trying to prove that it's not about one guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, again, to me has been head-scratching because he left an organization where they decided – we need something different there. We have a fine, competent... I mean, hell, Alex Smith was probably a borderline pro bowler mm-hmm. at one point in Kansas City. And they said, all right, with Andy Reid, we can't make it work. And by make it work, I mean get to the top. Yeah. And so they obviously did something very drastic to get Patrick Mahomes, and it worked. Um, it's just fascinating that Ballard has largely taken a stance of that isn't necessary. 
and that he's delayed these drafts. And I guess this could back this could back to the Jalen Hurts conversation that I was thinking about earlier. You know, when you look back on that 2020 draft, Eddie, we're going to look back on that draft in five to ten years. I mean, hell, we can look at it now. You want to talk about a great quarterback draft? Great quarterback draft. Mm-hmm. Burrow goes one. You know, Tua goes five. Obviously, Tua's health. You know, Herbert goes six. You know, Jordan Love, we'll, we'll we'll see, goes twenty six. And then Hertz goes, I think it was 53, I believe it was for Hertz. Yeah. And then Eason at, you know, 100 and whatever, 20 something. Yeah, yeah. And the Colts draft him. So that to me, and I know you guys have heard this before, so I apologize, but every time this gets brought up, I think it's worth mentioning. As soon as Andrew Luck retires in August of 2019, the, the college football season hasn't started yet. You tell your scouts, guys. I don't know what Jacoby Brissett's going to look like with our team this year, but I'm skeptical he's our franchise guy. So, we need to exhaust every resource possible in evaluating this 2020 draft class, and if we're in a position to take one, we need to do it. And when the year ended and they went 7-9, and sitting there with the 13th overall pick, you're in a position. You know, Tua went 5, Herbert went 6, You know, a trade up to 3, a trade up to 4, we saw Buffalo... You know, do something kind of similar just a couple years prior and going from 21 to 12 and then 12 to 7 to get Josh Allen. You know, the Hurts debate, I, I, I've i heard both sides of it from a Reich wanted him, Ballard wanted him. Um, pretty conflicting on that end. Uh, but that was the time to to do it. Um, and, and, and they obviously chose not to with Phillip Rivers and, and the rest is history. Um, and you could kind of make excuses for yourself as a franchise in future drafts on why you didn't do it. But, um, yes, half measure is probably fair. Again, the baseball analogy that I've said a million times, you got to swing the bat. you got to swing the bat and not just try to get opposite field or whatever. you got to swing and swing for the fences. Brian says his thoughts are from afar. This Colts regime doesn't seem like it's working in unison. Chris Ballard wants someone, and Shane Steichen wants someone else. If it was a consensus consensus pick, they would make a move. The lack of communication between them is concerning. If looks were important, it looks like Ballard... What? Oh, held Reich back. Forgot the space bar between held and Reich. Uh, held right back. The Panthers made a move for one. Seems like the Colts are settling. If you don't make a decision, can you be evaluated on that decision? Yeah, I guess. I mean, do we? I, I don't think we know if Shane Steichen and Chris Bauer have some big disagreement on you know where they're at at quarterback. I know there's some people out there that think whatever Bauer to be more Richardson centric and Steichen to be more Levis, vice versa, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, if it's Stroud, Richardson, and Levis, don't you take Stroud? Oh, yeah. A thousand times out of a thousand. I, yeah, that one to me, I just, oh, I don't I don't understand it. You know, as far as the Carolina thing is, part of that is hiring a coach so late is that you aren't able to get to a consensus early. You know, Eddie, just what, two weeks ago, the Colts were touring the country. I mean, the month that the NFL draft is happening, the Colts were touring the country working these guys out. Like, they just got a late start. So, you know, good, bad... Indifferent, however you 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 want to look at it, they did get a late start. Um, you know, I think something that we, we need to remind ourselves, and I know we're in such a bubble of this year's draft, which is totally understandable. What the Colts must do in supporting this quarterback is do the exact opposite of what Ryan Grigson did after the 2012 draft. The 2012 draft by Grigson, great work. Yeah, great work. 
But if you look in after drafts of that, you whiffed historically bad. Historically bad. These guys didn't pan out in Indy. They didn't pan out in Seattle. Hell, they didn't pan out in the CFL. Whether it's Bjorn Werner or Hugh Thornton or you know Dante Moncrief or Dijon Smith or TJ Green, like you just cannot have the abundance of misses that you had in drafts. And then on top of that, obviously you had misses in free agency. So it got to a point where basically Jim Mercy said, "I know it's about to dip, so I'm just going to can it because the foundation is about to fall apart." Because it's built on sand, and at that point it was built on, you know what, Luck and Hilton. That was really your only core guys. Yeah, you know, moving into 2017 season there. Um, so I think that is something. Again, you've got to make sure that you start hitting on drafts in a pretty routine basis, which is difficult. But welcome to life and trying to build a uh, frequent contender. I was going to say Jarrell Freeman, but he was already gone. <laughs> yeah, the first uh, Grigson signing, great signing. I agree. Uh, Flippin's Twitter question is up next. Any rumors on Will Levis having maturity issues? Sounds bad, but he just kind of looks and acts like he has some growing up to do. Man, <laughs> I sound like old. <laughs> uh, don't you love just people just judging book by its cover and all that? Oh, yeah. Um, Eddie, you were over the Combine when those guys spoke to the media. Yeah. Uh, in some, well, I think it was young Stroud... And Richardson were all pretty quickly, uh-huh. like within a 20-minute span. Levis, I think it was a couple hours later. You could have literally um, walked away from... Bryce Young, I think, is like... He's in the Jonathan Taylor nice category. Mm-hmm. Like he just He's in a different category. But with Stroud, Richardson, and Levis, you could have listened to all three of those podium sessions and walked away. And if you, if you wanted to, you could have been like, that dude has the swagger that a quarterback position needs. He's got the it factor. Yep. People are going to, you know, he's a guy that's going to walk into your room and say, if you don't draft me, I'm going to beat your ass for the next 10 years like Peyton <laughs> did. You, you could have gone there, or you could have walked away and been like, what a smug ass. What what what, what a conky, cocky, pompous guy. Like, you could have gone either way. Yeah. It's just, what do you ch- what what do you want to hear? Like, everyone's like, man, Will Levis saying that he has a cannon? What a cocky dude. That's no, true. It's truth and it's confidence, and it's the same sort of swagger that whatever C.J. Stroud exudes at a podium, or Anthony Richardson <laughs> had at the at the podium. Again, for the most part, I don't feel like there are these major red-ish flags with any of them from a personality standpoint. Obviously, we don't get to sure. talk to them as much, but yeah. And this is private investigator stuff that, Eddie, it's a great point, and it's probably why I said what I said last week. And I know this doesn't make for great podcast radio or whatever, but I don't have this strong conviction like I had with Benedict Matherin and mm-hmm. the Pacers. But where I do have strong conviction is Shane Steichen. And I think if you're a Colts fan right now, you should be thrilled that Shane Steichen is the head coach, the play caller, and is going to be the one working extremely close with this quarterback. Now, again, I want Shane Steichen to be the one calling the shots a week from Thursday. We'll see if that happens when the pick is made. But that is where I think you should have optimism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The prospects, we'll see. There's a lot of X factors that go with it. You never know how guys are going to react to money, fame, adversity, all those things. Jalen Hurts is a perfect example. When we did the pros and cons on last week's pod, Eddie, 
we slot, or at least I slotted in, a, a pro is Hendon Hooker transferring and exceeding. Mm-hmm. Will Levis transferring and exceeding. Jalen Hurts, he transferred. That dude got benched at Alabama. That's humbling. That is adversity. And does it help that he's a coach's son? Probably. On the national stage. On the biggest stage. And after the game, he you wouldn't have thought he was the one that got benched either. He was just so supportive of Tua. But then still had the drive. Yeah. You know, like like was a great teammate, but then still at some point probably had a quiet moment like F that. Yeah. You know, like I I, I need to do something about it. So that's what you're looking for. That's what you're trying to find. And at this point, just I mean, if you're these people, just lie, lie, lie. At this point, you know, if you're <laughs> GM, just keep on lying. What do we got? We got a couple more. Yeah, we got two left. Uh, Blopa or Blapa? Blopa, legend, a loyal, loyal listener. Uh, Blopa. Blopa. Hi guys. I tell you that I am working on a Colts pod in Spanish for the Latino audience. You are a great inspiration. I appreciate that. But thank you, Kevin. Have you ever been? Uh, has anyone ever ever said you're their inspiration before? Well, certainly not in Espanol. Um, <laughs> I took four years at Cathedral High School. I struggled mightily. I was able to test out of I think it was eight credits at IU, which I was shocked by that I was able to do that. So I did not have to pursue foreign language after that. But uh, Blopa, that is great to hear. In all seriousness, he has been with us Eddie since the start. So I love that. Uh, the dad jokes, by the way, just keep getting worse and worse. What was it? The, in Espanol? Yeah, just want to make sure that I, that I still have a little bit of the fastball. <laughs> it's more of a curveball now. Uh, my question is, is Gardner Minshew the most important firm in uh, free agents? Uh, depending on who Indy takes in the draft, he could be starting quarterback for the start of the season, but more importantly, the mentor and who will help assimilate Shane Steichen's offense to the new quarterback and the rest of the units. I mean, Gardner's going to be big, um, but I will go back to something I said earlier, Eddie. I just think Gardner Minshew is too competent to truly fail or tank. I don't think the Colts are going to tank very well. For those that want the Colts to tank well, I don't see it. And this is a debate to get into in May, but like, how do you then view when you play the rookie, when do you not play the rookie, how much do you play Minshew, all of those things. But um, I like Minshew. Um, I think he's going to be that... You know, I, I, most important free agent. I mean, there's not many to choose from. Ebukam would probably be the other one that you would throw into that group there. But um, again, I think Menchu checks a lot of what you want in a backup bridge QB. Final question goes to Garrett. Hey, Kevin. Hope you and Eddie are both enjoying life right now. We are, Garrett. We're enjoying it, man. Well, one of us is. <laughs> I don't know if I told you about the car bill, did I? Oh boy, no. No? No, uh, I, I I was hoping it wasn't house-related with the move, but... Uh, no, well, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a car, I'll explain later. Okay. Uh, with the news of 49ers general manager John Lynch saying that Brock Purdy has earned the right to be the quarterback of San Francisco next year, why have there been no discussions from other teams to trade for Trey Lance? They gave up a ton to get him, and he's never gotten a great shot to prove himself on the field. Do you think there is a scenario where Ballard could be talking with Steichen and Ursay to see if they could go after Lance and solve their quarterback carousel that way? Thanks as always, Kev. Always look forward to the content each week. Garrett, thank you for that. Um, I know we've talked a little bit intermittently about Trey Lance. Who is he, Eddie? Was it one game North Dakota State played that COVID year? Didn't they do like one game for them? One or two, I can't remember. 
Maybe one. So a one-year starter. He started four games in the NFL. The The numbers won't wow you whatsoever. Um, in a way, he probably has some Anthony Richardson-type traits. Probably not to that level, but um, stuff you like. The dude didn't throw an interception <laughs> his entire one year and starting at North Dakota State. That is that that thing still to this day just is wild to me. Um, I I probably wouldn't do it, but I would look deeply into it. Part of the reason why I wouldn't do it or I'd have hesitancy, Eddie, is what this will be year three for Trey Lance. Yes. So you need to pick up his fifth year rookie option next offseason? Yep. So, like, you're making a big financial commitment to him very shortly. Like, does Trey Lance need a year to be Trey Lance going from North Dakota State to the NFL? He might look awful in his first year whenever he does start. But then he might all of a sudden ascend and have growth and make the jump from year one to year two. The issue is you would then be paying him whatever it is, 17-some million, 20-some million for that fifth-year rookie option, and then he hits free agency and – who knows how you would handle it? So, I, it's intriguing to me, but I don't think I could fully go there. I'm in the same boat as you. Do you just let Houston do it or not? I mean, again, Houston's offensive staff aren't they all San Francisco guys? I think so. So, if not all, if not most, yeah. Um, so that would be interesting. Obviously, D'Amico Ryan and all of that. So, um. Anything else, Eddie? I think we've hit it all. All right. We talked about the Texans, talked about Jalen Hurts. Oh, we talked baseball. We talked Hunter Green. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good for the Reds, though. That's like a that's like a, that's a miracle that the Reds are able to. Oh, it's the first time they've lost back-to-back games where they were shut out while giving up eight-plus runs since 1949. God, now, now, I'm, now I'm seeing Tiger just had surgery today. What a just a kick in the you-know-what. Tiger Woods underwent a subtalar fusion procedure to address his post-traumatic arthritis from his previous talus fracture. Mm, that's a lot of big words for you. I mean, just tell me what part of the body it is. Tiger is currently recovering and looks forward to beginning his rehabilitation. So basically, Tiger Woods is not going to play golf for quite some time. God, it's a kick in the you-know-what to end the pod. Why would you do that? Why would you end it that way? I mean, you got you can't ignore the elephants in the room. Eddie Garrison, have a great week, man. Let's do Monday, okay? Sounds good to me. All right, everybody. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Plenty of content, 1075thefan.com.